Are you nervous? A little bit. Are you? <laughs> Why are you nervous? It, yeah, it is. It, I mean, it's a little awkward. It is a little awkward. <laughs> if you want to turn your camera off, you can. No, it's okay. I like I like actually like being face to face. We met what nineteen ninety eight. Does that sound I think right? So. It sounds right. You'd think at the beginning of a relationship, you'd have an interview with somebody to find out things about them, right? Not wait twenty plus years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is Tony Thomas. Actually, I'm Josh Lemon, and that's Tony Thomas singing. And this is the Dog and Tony Show podcast. Full disclosure, Tony and I have known each other for over 20 years. We first met when I joined a band he was in. That band turned into another band. He performed the ceremony at my wedding, then we played in another band. So yeah, he's my friend, and he's one of my favorite people on this planet. If you're listening to this, you know that Tony loves music, and that Tony loves to play music. And that's really why we're here. A little less than a year ago, Tony released a six-song EP called Colorful Dream, under the name Dog and Tony Show, a collection of songs that have been rattling around in his head for some time, and thanks in part to the pandemic, he was able to spend some time and get them out into the world. I was fortunate enough to have Tony ask me to listen and offer my opinion while he made Colorful Dream. And in true Tony form, less than a year later, he's got another 10 that he's ready to put out. Here's the thing about Tony. Tony makes music for the pure and simple reason of wanting and loving to do it. That's it, hard stop. As long as I've known him, just doing it seemed to always be more than enough of a reason. There's a collection of essays by Virginia Woolf called The Common Reader. And one of its main themes is that the readers are ordinary readers, not scholars, not critics. They read what they like for the pure enjoyment of reading and nothing else, which makes Tony the common musician. So I thought it would be fun to get together with Tony and talk music. We'll talk growing up, playing in a ton of bands, talk to people who've played with and know him. We'll talk about his most recent record and the one he's getting ready to put out. From bass to banjo, metal to bluegrass, leads to harmonies, drums to guitar, and everything in between. It kind of sounds like a lot, but hey, it's just a real Dog and Tony show. Let's talk about early on and, you know, where music came from as far as from your family. Your parents, were they big into music? Was it your sisters, your family members? How did how did you first get access to kind it? Kind of a combination, I guess. My sisters, my older sisters were always into music and they were like, they were, you know, 
Well, Audrey, my oldest sister, Audrey, wasn't really like this, but my sister, Barb, and Jackie were definitely like this, where they found one person and they just were like a super fan and had all that, like every record. So for Barb, it was Neil Diamond. Um, and then for Jackie, it was uh, Barry Manilow. She oh loved Barry Manilow. Wow. So they always had like record collections. So music was around. I didn't really get into it until my oldest sister went to college and left her record collection behind. And then I just sort of, I, she left her stereo too. So I took her stereo and eight tracks and records and started listening to those. And that really kind of is where things started for me, I think, um, to where I became like a music fan. Having a means to hear something on the radio and then, you know, go buy the record and play it. And that's, and then I've been collecting music really ever since. What about your folks? What kind of uh, relationship did they have with music? My parents are both kind of into music. They both loved to dance and stuff. So dad was a big Elvis and Waylon Jennings fan. My mom was a big Willie Nelson fan. And I don't remember, but at some point, I really can't remember what started this, but I just decided I wanted to play drums. Some I don't know. I probably saw a music video or something. I just thought it looked cool. Right. I'm not sure. But it, <laughs> I remember in fifth grade... When they start you in band, yeah, I wanted to be to play percussion, and you know they have you do a, some kind of test, and I scored really high on like the hearing part of it, like being able to discern tones and and things. Mm-hmm. So the band teacher wanted me to play trombone because you had to be able to hear where that slide was to hit the right notes, right? And so I I uh, I was like, okay, well, not what I wanted, but I. This is kind of the sad part of the story. So I had my first band practice where all they give you is a mouthpiece and you practice doing the right, yeah. whatever you do with your mouth, the <laughs> thing. Um, and I brought it home and then, you know, I told mom, oh, yeah, I joined band. I'm going to play trombone. And she just said, I don't know how you think we're going to afford a trombone. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I won't do band. <laughs> Rentals were really an option, I don't think, or at least my mom wasn't aware of it. We couldn't afford to buy one. Um, so that was the end of my, my band career. Oof. Ouch. <laughs> That's tough. I mean, you don't, even, you don't even get the whole instrument home. Yeah, exactly. Just a mouthpiece. <laughs> but then I, I still like was really interested in drums. So I remember I, it was something on the farm we had these fiberglass rods for. And I cut two lengths of rod that were about, you know, 14 inches long or so, and taped them all up with electrical tape so that I wouldn't get the, since they're fiberglass, you'd get slivers. And and then I would listen with headphones and try to, and like watch anytime I could, try to figure out what the drummers were doing and just like air drum basically for years. And how old are you when you were doing that? It's like 13 or 14, sitting on the edge of my bed. And, uh, and I picked really simple stuff like the cars and ZZ Top, where it was just basic, like, dun, duh, dun, duh, you know, really easy beats that, mm-hmm. that you know. And, and that's how I, like, I started to get that coordination of, like, the different hand movements until I was, like, 17. And um, for my 17th birthday, my parents bought a drum kit for $150 for, from somebody my mom worked with. And then... Then I actually had real drums, and that was very exciting. The sun rose o'er the bar 
Besides it just being welcomed in your in your home, and and I had the same experience with my brother going away to to college and having his music already seep into you know into my my years, but really taking his records and then calling them my own for years after that. But who else was? Were there other kids around that were 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 pushing you and and showing you new things, or was it mostly you coming to learn about music on your own or through your through finding records of your families. No, it's that same period, like 14 to 18, where somehow I be, I became friends with this guy, Jim Matheson, um, who we, we've got, you know, mutual friends who knew him. Mm-hmm. And later he went by James, you know, in ninth grade, he was just Jim. And I, I don't even know, he was kind of a, kind of a kid who got in some trouble, skipped school a lot, did a lot of drugs, drank a lot. And I don't know how we became friends. I, um, I think in part because he, he. Well, here's my interpretation of the story. The way I, the way I kind of remember it is he was, he would challenge me a little bit and also kind of try to pin me down. Like I would talk about music I was into, and at the time, my di- big discovery was classic rock. Like I, I. Had somehow I'd come up to the Twin Cities and heard KQRS, and I was like, "Whoa, they're playing Led Zeppelin <laughs> and the Doors," and like they don't play that at their radio station in Rochester. At least I didn't back then. So I was like, I thought I was cool. Like I was listening to this classic rock, and nobody else I knew was, and I thought I was different that way. And he was like, "You, you would just scoff at me, like, because he was into like um, the Swans and the Bad Brains and you know the Replacements and." Dead Kennedys and all the 80s punk rock stuff. Right. And I just wouldn't, I wouldn't back down. I was bothered by the fact that he was kind of scoffing at me. So I was like, all right, I'll check that out. And we would hang out and listen to records at his place. And he played guitar and he was really, the Swans were really his thing. And at that time, if you've heard the, you know, Swans from like the Mm -hmm. 90s and stuff, this is their early stuff where they're really kind of noisy and industrial and slow and heavy. And, uh, so he was just in the making noise on the guitar, basically just like going nuts and shoving his guitar into the speakers and, you know. Um, Real so, angry youth stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of got me into that world. And that's kind of the, that was like the more rebellious part, right? That's like music that was not like nobody, like my parents' generation just wasn't into it. And it's not like they told me I couldn't listen to it, but it was just strange to them. Sure. Um, and... So he became like one of the first people I played music with because I think he was kind of thirsty, anxious to play music with somebody too. And since he played guitar and I played drums, I would just sit up in the corner of his bedroom. And I'm sure at some point some cassettes of those jam sessions existed, but they're, they're long gone now. It would have been great to hear James's version of some of these stories and even see if he could dig up some of those old tapes. But James passed away in 2003. 
sometimes opportunities aren't always what you want them to be. While Tony admits that there was probably some sort of scene that he would have liked to be part of in Austin or Rochester, he just didn't know about it. But his friend Jim, who had introduced him to so much music, also worked at a record store in Rochester that seemed to fill that need. But it also didn't take long for First Avenue to come calling and give him a new perspective on what he was actually interested in. There used to be a record store on Broadway in Rochester where Jim worked and we would go hang out there a lot. And I got to know the owner, who actually was a twin brother of the guy who used to own Roadrunner Records in Minneapolis. Hmm. So that became kind of like the source. That was a record store where you could buy bootleg records, all the punk rock releases. And, you know, Jim being somebody who like I kind of looked up to as like like kind of a cool guy. I worked there too. And Jim had gotten a couple other people into the butthole surfers back then. And we I had a, you know, 1974 Monte Carlo. So you could pack five people into that thing. Um, two in the front, three in the back. So we, we packed five guys into that car, including the guy who owned the, the Broadway records. Got permission from my mom. She wrote a note so I could skip school because it was like an all-ages concert at First Avenue. So we came up, we went to Roadrunner, did a little shopping, then went to this you know show that started at like four or five in the afternoon on a random Wednesday or Thursday or something. And first time seeing a punk rock band. There, there probably was some kind of local punk scene back then, but you know, in Rochester, Austin, but I wasn't aware of it. Nobody in the record store was telling me about that stuff. 17-year-old, first time at First Avenue, the old E-block before it was kind of cleaned up. People were trying to sell you drugs and random stolen stuff as you're walking across the street. <laughs> It was an eye-opener just that there was a place not too far away where there was lots of music going on and the possibility of actually being on that stage just seemed really cool. Back at home, Tony was playing music with friends. His first band was called The Band With No Name. And it technically qualifies as a band because they made shirts. You can look it up. It's band law. But soon it was time for him to leave home and go to school, and he came north to the Twin Cities to attend St. Thomas. And he played his first show while drumming in a band called the Shade Loving Begonias. They played originals, and even though it was late 80s, early 90s kind of indie pop, a style of music that he really didn't listen to, he still loved it. At this point in his life, metal and punk were still king. But he was about to have a musical awakening of sorts, and Tony started playing in a couple bands that really opened the door for him as far as folk, bluegrass, Americana, and country were concerned. And it really stuck. He fell in love with it, and he found it accessible to him in a way that a lot of hardcore just wasn't. There seems to be a point when, as much as you've always loved metal, and I know that you've never stopped loving metal, (laughs) (laughs) but where, like, folk for lack of a better term, Americana, straight, traditional country, kind of took over. Yeah. Right? It it became your new like first love instead of this other thing that you had maybe grown up with or finally rebelled maybe against KQ a little bit with the metal. Right. And, and then went down this other path. How did that happen? Yeah, that, that was like a hard left turn. <laughs> it actually... Um, 
it, so at the time I was living with my wife, Ellie, we were, we were just dating back then. But, you know, of course, she got to know me when I was like listening to tons of metal. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm playing like I bought a banjo and I'm playing bluegrass and country music constantly. And she was like, what is going on? <laughs> so there's kind of like a few things that happened around the same time that like really got me into that. One was five easy pieces for sure. So those um, there was one friend who played fiddle in that band who was about my age. But then the other guys in the band were all five or 10 years older you know, they were definitely like, that was a folk band. Like I was playing drums, but it was basically a, a bluegrass band with a drummer, mandolin, acoustic guitar, um, bass and drums and violin. Those guys were all really into that music. Um, and they kind of were more steeped in it. You know, their influences were more like, like for me, when classic rock was a discovery, you know, they grew up with the Rolling Stones and Graham Parsons and the birds and all that stuff. So that was another mixtape. John, who played, sang and played guitar in that band, lent, loaned me this tape, which I never gave back. <laughs> but it had all this, like, um, it had Little Feet and Graham Parsons and Emmylou Harris. And there was a summer where I just listened to that tape endlessly. Just I would just flip it over and listen and flip it over again all day long. So that was part of it. And again, when I joined that band, I wasn't really into that music. It wasn't really my thing, but they were playing shows all over town and they actually had a show booked on the main stage when I joined the band, which was like, well, yeah, I'm going to, I want to play on the main stage. (laughs) (laughs) But then like, as I got to know them and I got to like learn their songs, they were writing and then this tape and getting exposed to some other stuff, then I started to really like appreciate it and get into it. And around that same time, um, this band Chair, friends I knew from Merci Blah Blah and the Shade Loving Begonias, they also had like recorded a record with Tom Herbers and they were playing around town a little bit and they were kind of changing some things up. Somebody had quit the band and I offered to actually play bass because of kind of the shifting membership. Um, and, and they were really into the alt country thing with the uh, Jayhawks. Um, at the time it was Uncle Tupelo, I think, Sunvolt and Wilco were brand new. So now I'm in two bands that are playing kind of in that in that world. And then the third thing, I found a, a whole collection of records at the library um, that covered, spanned everything you would consider folk and country from like early folk to bluegrass to honky tonk, Western swing, outlaw country, all of that. I just started checking out those records and recording them. And then that became like a way of sort of bonding with my dad because a lot of that music was from when he grew up and I would come home with some song, you know, a tape of honky talk music and he'd be like, Oh, I used to go and put a nickel in the jukebox and listen to that one every time I could. And so all three of those things came together, like this bonding with my dad over music, playing music in two different bands. I just went, you know, like right, right from metal hard turn into like country and bluegrass and folk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You'd think that'd be a harder transition, but I suppose if you add in the side benefits of getting closer with your family, you know, having more connections. Exactly, yeah. The crazy power of what music can do. Yeah, when, and it was accessible too. I could listen to those songs and, you know, a lot of times they're two or three chord songs. And this is pretty, you know, I'd, I'd only been p- playing guitar for a few years around this time. And 
So these were songs I could learn too, mm -hmm. which was exciting to me. Because that's the other thing about playing drums is you can't sit on the couch and play drums by yourself. Nope. But guitar, if you have an acoustic guitar around, you can pick that up anytime. It's not really going to bother anybody. And so this is something I could do with music that didn't require going somewhere else where I could be loud. That's why all those guys at the practice spaces, what, 98% of all practice spaces are filled with metal bands that you're never going <laughs> to hear, right? And they just totally. they all just live there because no one wants them to do that anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. So things were really fun and coming together. Finally playing a brand of music that was new and exciting to him, and then a really big one. The band Man Afraid was a short-lived but much-loved Minneapolis hardcore band. So much loved that a reunion show 25 years later needed a second show added. But when Man Afraid ended, and after his country bands shuffled members, renamed, reshuffled members again, and renamed again, Tony finally stepped out from behind the drums full-time. And yeah, am I making it seem a little overly dramatic? Sure. But he went from drumming this... writing and singing this. Uncle Ray was a union man and a train engineer for 25 years. One day went down the tracks and Uncle Ray never came back. And Tony, he never really came back either. On the next episode, we'll hear about the two bands that had the biggest impact on him, Man Afraid and Anchorhead. And we'll hear what kind of impact Tony had on the people in those bands. By far, he's more musically talented than any of us in Manifred. It was great. It was great being in a band with Tony. I'd, if I lived in Minneapolis and we wanted to do another project, I would. he's the first drummer I would have. He's got more talent in his little finger than a lot of people I've ever met. I can't think of a lot of people I'd rather be friends with, and he's just top drawer, man. But bands end. Sometimes in tragedy, like with Man Afraid, and sometimes, in the case of Anchorhead, because of opportunity. And he'd say, I've been here for 25 years. That's a long, long time. Don't you try to take me on. If you do, you can't win. You can't win. You can't win. Don't try to take me The Dog and Tony Show podcast is hosted and edited by me, Joshua Lemon, and written and produced by me with help from Tony Thomas. Special thanks to Nick Piper-Holtz and Nick Weirs. Original music by The Dog and Tony Show, Man Afraid, and Anchorhead. Sweet Loaf from the Butthole Surfers off the Locust Abortion Technician album released on Touch and Go Records was used without permission, but we're hoping they let it slide. Follow The Dog and Tony Show on Facebook and Instagram for updates on new episodes and, of course, Tony's upcoming record. His previous release, Colorful Dream, some of which is heard on this episode, is available now on Spotify. 
You can find Man Afraid at manafraid.com and check them out on Instagram at man underscore afraid and learn about their upcoming reunion show. All right. See ya. Which is something that I've never been able to do. I've always been like, why aren't there more people here? What do I, this is an atrocity. I deserve better. You know, and just like all that bullshit, like ego shit that Tony just never has had. He'll like run over his guitar and then bring it to practice. <laughs>